Wow. 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 Oh, no. Oh, no. No, no. That's not biblical. That's not biblical, but don't stop. Thank you. God bless you. Wow. Wow. What a blessing to be here. Every time I come here, I get a little overwhelmed, uh, frankly. I get humbled uh, because this place is so beautiful that I could joke around to the online audience uh, that it's just awful. There's no reason to come here in person. Uh, there's Betty Davis's famous line in All About Eve. She says, what a dump. <laughs> yeah, you can only say that if the place is extraordinarily beautiful. Uh, it's, it's so beautiful, uh, and I feel so welcome here. Uh, I do feel a little bit overwhelmed. Uh, and I do have to say, when my friend, uh, Dr. Michael Youssef, is not here, I miss his voice because I'll never forget the first time he let me come to this pulpit, he greeted me downstairs in his gorgeous office, and he said to me, Eric, would you like a Red Bull? <laughs> and I thought, it's kind of like Yul Brynner, like a pharaoh. Would you like a Red Bull? I really had to think, what does he mean? Is it a biblical reference? Is it a red, red heifer, end times reference? What's he talking about? And he just thought I might need some caffeine. Um, but I just, I love him, and uh, he, by the way, gave me a wonderful endorsement for this book because I care what he thinks. Uh, there are just a handful of people that I sent it to um, because when you write a book with a title, Letter to the American Church, you better be sure what you're saying is what the Lord is saying. This is not just some opinions that I have. I have a lot of opinions, but... You know, we need to have humility when we broadcast our opinions because we don't want to mislead people. And so uh, originally I was not going to title the book Letter to the American Church because I thought who would dare arrogantly title a book Letter to the American Church. So when I wrote it, I had, I have to say, I wrote it with tremendous trepidation because I said if, if this is what the Lord wants to say, I need to get it right. I need to make sure that I'm getting it right. What is God saying? Originally, I was going to give it a safer title, but a more provocative title, uh, which is out of the book of James, Faith Without Works is Dead. You don't hear that that often, do you? Faith Without Works is Dead. Now, by the way, dead, that's a negative thing. <laughs> it's not like faith without works is not awesome. It doesn't say faith without works is B minus. Faith without works is dead from Sheol, from the pit of hell. Faith without works is dead. And that's in a way the theme of my book, Letter to the American Church, because it has been my observation that we all know we have to be humble, right? As believers, we understand that the church through the centuries and the body of God's people through the millennia drift away from God, and God sends his prophets uh, to correct and to draw them back. This comes over and over and over again, and why should we be any exception, right? In other words, that in a funny way, um, I never know, I, I never remember the scripture uh, citations, but we all know the famous scripture, you know, to whom much is given, of them much is required. So, who has been given the most, when you think around the world, the American church? 
we have been so blessed. This nation has been so blessed, and the American church has been so blessed. It should be frightening to us. When the Lord blesses you as he has blessed us, wow, do you have responsibility. Now, this is not that we're supposed to remain frightened. We're supposed to say, okay, Lord, with you, we can do all things. But without you, we can do nothing. And so if we kind of drift along thinking, hey, we're pretty wonderful with the American church, everything's great. Now, part of the reason I wrote the book, Letter to the American Church, is because it, was, it became increasingly obvious to me that the nightmare of what happened to the German church in the 1930s was happening to the American church in our time, is happening to the American church in our time. Uh, some of you know, I can't remember when I was here or what I spoke on. I don't know if I spoke on my Bonhoeffer book here. I, I, I can't remember. But some of you, many of you know the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who really was a prophetic voice uh, in Germany uh, in the 30s, who was trying to say to the German church, hey, German church, you need to wake up. You are being silent in the face of evil. And what was the response of most of the German church to Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Most of it was exactly the same response that we hear from pulpits and from Christian leaders in America today. Stay in your lane. Don't get political. Don't get controversial. Just preach the gospel. Now, the problem is even Jesus didn't just preach the gospel. When you hear people say that, that's kind of code for shut up. Don't, pre don't get out of your lane, okay? You, you can, if you just want to play church, okay, and when you're in a gorgeous church like this, there's a strong temptation just to play church. We're just going to get dressed up, and we're going to sing a few hymns and whatever. But the Lord says you are the church, and I expect you to behave as the church, and it has nothing to do with your building. It has nothing to do with your piety. It has to do with obedience to me, and if you're not obedient to me, if you don't love me with your whole heart, I am not interested in you. Don't try to fool me. Don't lie to me with your lips if your life is not a testament to what you claim to believe. So Bonhoeffer was in Germany uh, preaching in a church uh, in 1932. It was Reformation Day, 1932. And I always think if you can imagine the greatest church you could be asked to preach at in Germany practically at that time was this wonderful church in Berlin. It was the William, uh, the, the Kaiser Wilhelm Gedächtniskirche, which I don't know what that means. It means uh, it's the memorial, blah, blah, blah. But it was just the most gorgeous, extraordinary building, and all, everybody who was somebody would be there. You know, Hindenburg, the, uh, practically the, the living legend, if, if he went to church, he would be there. And Bonhoeffer spoke, this is now months before Hitler took power, because he sensed in the Holy Spirit, the German church is not understanding where we are. It doesn't understand that we're not the church just to be the church, to play church, to, have, you know, to get to heaven. Because if the goal of being a Christian was get to heaven, we would have been translated, the second you accept Jesus, you'd be out of here. But here's the good news and the bad news. We're still here. So the Lord obviously is not merely interested in our salvation. When you cross the line of believing, you're not crossing the finish line. You're crossing the starting line, 
you are now deputized by the Lord with no excuses to live your life to his glory in gratitude to him for everything that you now say you believe, right? What do we say we believe? We say we believe he defeated death on the cross. We don't believe that's a metaphor. He defeated death on the cross. So we believe he destroyed death. And if we truly believe in him, we will literally never die. The, the death that we experience when we leave this life is an entrance into the real life. The real life. These are the shadow lands, as C.S. Lewis called it. This is nothing compared to the life we're going to experience. So if we really believe what the Scripture says, and I say this to myself and to everyone, we are fools not to look forward to our physical death. And we all say, well, that's, I don't know if I have that kind of faith, brother. Well, let's admit that we don't, and let's admit that the Lord wants us to have that kind of faith. Now, if the Lord who died for you wants you to have that kind of faith, we should want to have that kind of faith. We should understand that that's not just a nice idea, that, oh, when I die, it's going to be nice and peaceful. It's like, no, 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 no. The Lord wants you to long to be with him in a way that you cannot yet. And he wants you to know that you can't even imagine how wonderful that is. But the point is, if you believe that, if you are a Christian who says, I believe those things, then the Lord says, I expect you to live your life utterly fearlessly. Not to worry about this and worry about that, because those are just, it's just like worrying about death. You're supposed to live your life fearlessly, joyfully, in gratitude to me, for what I have done on the cross for you, have risen from the dead, I call you to real life now. Now. In the Scripture, Paul says, we're, we're seated with him in heavenly places. Even as we're here, we are already, by the power of the Holy Spirit, living, seated with him in heavenly places as we are still here. So the church is we who believe in him, filled by his Holy Spirit, here now, to do his will here now until he calls us to be with him face to face. And so I thought to myself, in Germany in the 30s, the German church, and it's hard for us to imagine because we mythologize the past, we have to understand that the German church in the 30s was dramatically similar to the American church today. In other words, they were very sophisticated. This was a sophisticated nation, a tremendously culturally sophisticated nation, intellectually sophisticated, tremendously blessed, and, and dramatically Christian. And so when we think about the German church kind of missing it and not speaking up in the face of evil, we, we kind of think, oh yeah, that's the Nazis, that's that crazy period. Well, they were essentially no different than we are. In other words, they were so blessed. When you're mightily blessed, as we are, it is easier to miss God because you're not living in the reality of having to depend on him, to depend on him for your food and for this and for that and for not being killed by the people who are persecuting the Christians. We are so blessed, it's easy for us to take our eye off the ball. And the Germans had taken their eye off the ball, and for many reasons, I won't go into it, but I, I obviously in the book, Letter to the American Church, I, I do go into it, even though it's literally my shortest book to encourage you. Uh, but the point is you take your eye off the ball and then you get what people in corporate culture call mission drift, right? 
Bonhoeffer saw, especially when he gave this sermon in 1932, he had seen the mission drift in the Lutheran church. He saw that they were so focused on faith alone, which is Luther's famous cry, faith alone, faith alone, faith alone. We all say, yes, faith alone. Okay, that's good and it's true, but you better be sure you have faith because the Scripture says faith without works is dead. So Bonhoeffer is trying to speak to the German church and say, I don't really see faith. I hear a lot of talk about faith. I hear, oh, it's all grace. It's all grace, man. I can't do anything. I can't add anything to what Jesus did. It's all grace. It's all grace. He goes, that's, that's good. Do you understand what grace is? Do you understand what grace cost? He calls it costly grace. And he says the antithesis of that, which is an abomination before God, is called cheap grace. Cheap grace to take what God did by sending his son to die a torture death on a Roman cross, to take that and go, yeah, that's great, grace. And he's like, no, do you understand what he did? If you understand what he did, you say you have faith. If you have real faith and you understand that, you're going to live your life dramatically differently. There's no way you can actually believe that. You can claim to have faith, but if you have real faith, it will be evident in how you live. And then the Scripture affirms it by saying in many places, but specifically, faith without works is dead. So in other words, we know you don't get saved by your works. We all know that. But we also know from the Scripture that if you are saved by faith, it will show up in works. It will show up in how you live. It will show up by what you say and what you don't say. It will show up in what you do and don't do. And if there's no connection between those things, if you just think it's some intellectual idea, Bonhoeffer is there to tell you that's wrong, and the Scripture is there to tell you that's wrong. And Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees, you know, your, your, your hearts are far from me. The Old Testament prophets, your hearts are from me. In other words, to talk about God and to know about God in some ways is worse than not knowing about God if you don't live out what you say you believe. So the Pharisees knew the Bible better than anyone here. Let's think about this, right? Everybody says, Bible reading is important. Better get in the Word. Yeah, unless you get in the Word and then don't do what it says. If you know the Word backwards and forwards and you do not live it out self-sacrificially, that's scary. That's scary. That is reading the Scripture unto your own destruction. Better not read it if you're not going to do what it says once you understand it. So we don't get credit for going to Bible studies and memorizing Scripture, whatever. That, that's all the first step. Then the second step is, okay, now you know it. Are you living it? So Bonhoeffer, when he was speaking to that church on Reformation Day 1932. Now, Reformation Day, you know, it's like... July 4th in this country, except worse, because it's, this is the day Luther, the German, you know, started the Reformation. In other words, they're sort of celebrating themselves in Germany on Reformation Day. They're like, aren't we great? We're Lutherans. Here we are in one of the greatest Lutheran churches in Germany in the world. And, you know, isn't that great? And he's thinking, well, maybe not, because the Lord has called us to this faith to live out our faith, and now, Bonhoeffer was saying, we are dealing, he didn't say it in so many words, but the Nazis were on the rise so that in a couple of months, Hitler would officially become chancellor. 
And Bonhoeffer was looking around and thinking, you're playing church. You're not living this out. And if we do not live it out the way Luther lived it out, then we're worshiping an idol of Martin Luther. We're not worshiping Jesus. Martin Luther would have been sickened if we were sort of worshiping an idol of Luther. It's like, hey, Lutheranism, ain't it great? You know, it's like tribal, right? It's like go Braves or something like that. You know, like that's, that's nice, but <laughs> that's, that's not what God, God is looking for us to worship him and to live unto him. So Bonhoeffer tried to get the German church to wake up and to say, if you do not speak out on the evils that we are beginning to see, God is going to hold you accountable. We are the ones that claim to believe he defeated death, that we have no fear. We are the ones he's deputized to live fearlessly and to be the, he said the church is the conscience of the state. In other words, when you say, well, we're just going to talk about theological stuff, we're just going to talk about salvation issues, he says, no, 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 no. When you see evil, it's clear from Scripture, you're to denounce the evil, whatever it is. When you see confusion and deception, God has deputized us, his church, to speak about these things. And in that day, just as in our day, the people who didn't like it would say, ah, 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 you're being political. Well, I mean, the response really should be, so what? What do you mean I'm being political? If I speak against the slave trade, uh, people said, shut up. Don't speak about the slave trade because that's, you know, there's different opinions. That's, that's political. Well, if you know what the Scripture says, you're going to say, I don't care. You're going to say, by the grace of God and to glorify him, I will denounce it as an abomination from the pit of hell. And if you don't like it, you argue with God about it. But don't tell me to shut up about it. Now, that's, that's easy for us now, right? Now, we all know Oh, the slave trade. Wilberforce was a hero. But in his day, he was told, shut up. Don't mix politics and faith. Are you crazy? That's what people said. Uh, in this nation, when we were talking about abolition, it was mostly Bible-thumping Christians who knew that the Word of God said this. And many people said, I don't know. I just want to have a pure church. We just, just preach the gospel. We don't get into that controversial stuff. Well, let me tell you something. The Lord demands that you get into that controversial stuff. The Lord demands that you speak the truth of God and you don't let people tell you to stay in your lane, okay? You want to stay in your little lane, you can go to China. And in China today, you can go to the official churches and you can say whatever you want, preach your little thin, fake gospel because once you step out of that building, you will bow to the secular authority of the state, which, by the way, is demonic, since we don't have time to go into it. It's demonic. It's atheistic. It's evil. So they say, you stay in your lane. In your church, do your little weird stuff on Sunday morning, but when you come out, you bow to the secular authority of the state. That lie from the pit of hell has always existed, where people would use that term, don't be political, okay? So in China, they would just say that you, you, you have no right to speak. Just speak about your theological stuff. Now, interestingly enough, that is exactly what Hitler said to the famous Martin Niemöller. Martin Niemöller, and this applies to many pastors and Christian leaders in America today, okay? Martin Niemöller was a good guy, but he got it wrong. He got it wrong. He thought, well, I don't wanna, we don't want to go up against the Nazis too much. We don't know where that's going. And let's be fair, they didn't know where it was going. It's very easy for us to look back and say, oh, I would have spoken up. 
Well, there are many people not speaking up today on all kinds of issues. But let me tell you something. Even we uh, who get this stuff, if you'd been in Germany at the time, you, you, you might have missed it. So good people missed it. And Bonhoeffer was trying to wake them up. Martin Niemöller is the classic example. Martin Niemöller was a, a heroic figure, but he was confused and he thought, you know, we can kind of work with the Nazis. That sort of sounds funny to us because we know what happened. But in 1933 and 34, there were many wise, godly people who thought that. So Martin Niemöller finally gets a meeting with Hitler because he was a big deal pastor. He gets a meeting with Hitler. And in that meeting, Hitler says almost exactly what the Chinese atheist leaders are saying to the church and what many Christian leaders are saying uh, today. Hitler said, when Martin Niemöller said something about, well, you know, Mein Fuhrer, we, we care about the Third Reich, we care about Germany, well, you know, we pastors. Hitler said, you just worry about your sermons. I'll worry about the Third Reich. In other words, you stay in your little theological lane, preaching your little gospel. But anything that bears on reality, anything that bears on what's happening in the nation, shut your mouth or you'll go to a concentration camp. Now, the irony is that many Christians today in America, we're silencing ourselves. We don't need Hitler to tell us, shut up or you go to a We're saying like, oh, we just, we just want to comply. We don't want to be political because we got some memo that we're not supposed to be political or anything that touches on the political. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you that is not a biblical view. The scripture is clear. We are to speak about truth. We're to call out evil. We're to call out falsehood. That's what the Lord requires of us. And if someone else says you're being political, that's on them. I mean, let's be honest. If, if, I, if I say the unborn are made in the image of of God and to kill them is wrong and you should never vote for anyone who, who even leans in that direction. People say, well, you're being, you're being political. You're being political. Yeah, maybe I'm being political, but here's the point. I don't care because that's what God says. And if you want to call it political, you call it political. So as soon as you talk about the sanctity of the unborn. But I'm telling you that in this nation, if I talked about that African-Americans are made in the image of God, one time that was considered political. If you say in Germany, we should speak up for the Jews, they're made in the image of God, that was considered political. If you care what's considered political by whatever demonic voices are in your culture, folks, you're not caring about what God tells you to do, which is to speak his truth. Now, the point is, we in America have far less excuse on this issue because from our founding and from before our founding, we just celebrated Thanksgiving, we have always known in this nation religious liberty is at the heart of everything. Religious liberty, which is that I have no fear that I can practice my religion in every sphere, not just in this building on Sunday morning, but particularly when I leave this building, in every sp single sphere of life, I have the freedom enshrined in our Constitution, enshrined in these documents, to speak fearlessly and to live out my faith in the world of education, in the world of media, in the world of journalism. Everywhere I go, 
I am deputized by God and protected in the Constitution to live out my faith, not just in this building, not just on Sunday morning. That's what the Lord is looking for. That is called his church. And so the question is, what happened in Germany? I can tell you what happened. The reason I mentioned Martin Niemöller, he's a good guy. And when he finally saw the satanic view that Hitler had, and he said, uh-oh, I think maybe I got this wrong, he began, he was one of the boldest voices. But by then, it was too late. And Niemöller knew it. Niemöller wrote that famous poem. You've heard it. You know, first they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak up because I was not a trade unionist. And then they came for the communists, and I did not speak up because I was not a communist. Then they came for the Jews. I did not speak up because I was not a Jew. This is cancel culture in the 1930s, okay? They're going to they're pick off you and you and you. Will your friends speak up for you? They're going to, oh, no, let, let them take him away. I'm just going to keep my nose clean. I don't want to get political. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to get canceled. On, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Folks, keeping your mouth shut under those circumstances is an offense against God. And we need to bolster ourselves and understand that the Lord is with you when you speak his truth. Even if you get it wrong, in this nation, folks, you, you, you are protected to speak what you think is right. So it's not about, uh-uh-uh, oh, 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 you're spreading disinformation. You have the right to say anything you like, especially if you think it's true and it's going to help people. Don't let anyone silence you. But we need to hear this because we have the example of what happened in the German church. Once the German church understood this, it was too late. And the silence of the German church on a host of evils, okay, we understand principally it was speaking up for the Jews, right? They said, well, not yet, not yet. We don't want to be controversial. Not yet, not yet. And then the moment some of them got it, they thought, oh, it's too late. We have been neutralized. We've been defanged and declawed, and we have no voice. If we spoke up last year, we still had a chance, but now we have no voice. So the reason I wrote this book, Letter to the American Church, is I've seen precisely this happening in our nation where we have far less excuse because we have the tradition of religious liberty. We have the tradition of separation of church and state where the state has no business ever telling the church what it can and cannot say or do. No business doing that. A lot of times the excuses we hear from Christians are, well, you know, it's not just that I want to be political, but I, I want to be nice because that's the number one Christian value is being nice. So I don't want to disagree with anybody. Now, what these people who are espousing this idea will never bring up is Jesus turning over the tables in the temple. Jesus was a toxic male. <laughs> Jesus allowed himself to get angry. Whoa, that's not a Christian value. He's supposed to be really, really nice and civil at all times. And Jesus blew it. Unless Jesus was God in which case he didn't blow it, in which case that's a model of godly masculinity. If you see evil, especially as a man, I can only speak as a man because I'm a man, especially as, at least I identify as one. I, you know, who, in these topsy-turvy times, who's to say? Who's to say? I, I could be like a, a Finnish teenage swimmer. I don't know who I am. I don't know. But, but think about this for a second. Jesus who is perfection, 
who is sinless, okay? He, when he saw evil and corruption, it made him angry. Now, we know that God gets angry. You read this in Scripture. He gets angry at injustice. If you don't get angry, there's something sick and bloodless about you. Do you remember that famous moment in, uh, some of you will remember because you're as old as I am or older, but when Dukakis was asked in that famous debate in 1988, you know, if your wife Kitty was raped, blah, 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 and his response was like so wonky and so bloodless that most Americans thought, what kind of a guy is this? He's not even responding with passion to this disgusting insinuation. When you hear about something evil, something in you needs to rise up. And it's, that's the Lord who has put goodness and the love of truth in you who calls you to rise up and to speak against evil. And so Bonhoeffer is saying to the German church, unless you speak up for the Jews, church, you have no business singing worship songs. God requires of you to do what he requires of you to do, not what you choose to do, but he has called you to speak up. And so in this nation, I don't need to tell you, that we have tons of Christian leaders advocating silence on anything that might be considered political. Folks, you know what? If, if the Democratic Party was Tip O'Neill, we have a conversation. But when you see things drifting toward Marxism, when you see things, and by the way, Marxism is by definition atheistic Marxism, which, which by the way, will lead to harm of human beings. So I don't see that as a political thing. I just see that as you call a spade a spade. You say, wait a second, that's going to hurt people. The transgender madness, it's not just unbiblical. It's going to destroy lives. If the church does not speak against this, who will speak? Who has the courage to speak against these things which are harming human beings whom the Lord commands us to love as ourselves? It is our job as the church to speak. Now, at the heart of all of this, of course, is this idea that, well, we're just about evangelism. Again, that's not biblical, okay? We're supposed to speak. When you see evil, you speak against evil, right? And when Jesus said some of the things he said, you could imagine some thin-lipped American pastor saying, Jesus, tone it down. You better tone it down because you could drive them away from the gospel. <laughs> but that's, I understand that. It's wrong. But there's a lot of that. We need to recognize that in ourselves. When we say, I won't say anything that might be controversial because it's all about evangelism. Well, folks, when, when you say that, you have to wonder, to what are you evangelizing someone? To what dead, thin-lipped, pseudo-gospel are you leading someone to if you are not speaking up for those whose lives are being crushed by an authoritarian state, by, by the madness uh, being promoted by media and big pharma, and you name it. All, every wicked force arrayed in this world is there harming people, and it is the Lord who has deputized us to speak against it without fear of being said, ah, ah, you're being political. If, if the church buys that lie that we can't be political because somebody has chosen to define political, okay? If, if you speak against slavery, that's political. If you speak against... You name it. Uh oh, that's political. You have to say, is what I'm saying what God wants to say or not? If you want to call it political, that's on you. But if I am silent in the face of evil, that is on me. Because the Lord 
has chosen me to be a voice for the voiceless. He's chosen the American church to be his voice in our time. There is no church in this country more blessed than the American church. And if we are silent in the face of evil, as largely we have been, for fear of being called political, for fear of being called whatever name, right? You pick a name out of a hat. What name will they throw at you, okay? If you're white, they'll say you're racist. If you're whatever, they'll say you're transphobic, right? They, these are names just, just designed to shut you up and to shut the voice of God in this generation. And my point is that we're never supposed to make an idol of politics. But guess what? We're not supposed to make an idol of anything. Every good and wonderful thing can become an idol. So we know, I hope, you don't make an idol of a good thing. You don't put your faith in politics or political leaders. But to say I won't be political is wrong. William Wilberforce led the battle for the abolition of the transatlantic slave trade as a politician. And I want to repeat it. There were people in his day who said, uh uh, you're being political. Keep your faith separate from politics. But anyone who knows the Lord of Scripture personally knows that there's no way for me to keep anything separate. The famous Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper famously said, There is not one square inch of all creation over which Jesus Christ who is sovereign, does not say, mine. The Lord doesn't say, oh, just stay in your theological corner. Just, just quote the scripture. But if it bears on anything out there, just uh, don't tell people. Believe me, folks, they'll let you be that kind of a Christian in China. That is the devil. Do you understand the, the satanic evil happening in China? Do you understand that, that in China, where they don't believe in these parochial values of the Bible... They believe if you're an enemy of the state, we'll put you uh, in a concentration camp. And if you're 25 years old and healthy and you're an enemy of the state, we will murder you. We will sell your organs to the highest bidder. And we'll make a lot of money for the state. And by the way, we're atheists. We don't believe there's right or wrong. We believe in the power of the state. And there are tons of Americans making money doing business with China. Okay? That's called a moral issue. It is a moral issue. Now... I'm not going to make it sound like these things are easy, but if you don't care about this, if you're not thinking about this, if you don't think the Lord of hosts commands us to care about these kinds of things, then we're not understanding what his word says. His word says we are to live out our faith in such a way that anybody who looks at you knows you really do believe that. You don't claim to believe it. They see from your life that you believe it. You're not supposed to take the safe religious path. Uh, final example. Imagine in Germany, there were many Germans, if the Gestapo came knocking at your door and said, are you hiding a Jew in the basement? Now, here's the question, right? A religious Christian, religious in the negative sense, would say, well, I really care about myself more than about the Jew, which you're already strike three because you're supposed to Love your neighbors as yourself. You're supposed to put yourself second. That's the agape love of Jesus, right? So somebody says, are you, are you hiding a, a Jew in the basement? The religious answer, the pious answer, would be like, oh, I can't tell a lie. So no, Mr. Gestapo man, come in and torture and kill the Jew. And I'm justified before God, praise the Lord. That's out of the, that's out of the pit of hell. 
But there are people who have these religious ideas that have nothing to do with the Lord. And that is always our temptation. And I believe now, and again, the reason I wrote this book letter to the American church is I believe the silence of the church today parallels dramatically the silence of the church in Germany. The only difference is we have a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of time left, I believe, by God's grace, or he wouldn't have called me to write the book. And I believe we have an example of Bonhoeffer and what happened in the German church as an example to us to say, A, this is exactly what will happen to you unless you repent. But I'm calling you to repent. And if you repent of your silence, of your fear of man, of your fear of being canceled, of your fear of whatever it is, if you live out your faith as I died that you would live out your faith, my hand will be with you. So ultimately, I am hopeful, but I say this with deadly seriousness. You know, usually when I preach, there's a lot of humor. There, there, if, if, I, uh, if I'm ever invited back, uh, I can speak on my book, Is Atheism Dead?, which is just glorious apologetics. I mean, the, apologetics, the, the reasons to believe that God has given us in these last days, just amazingly hopeful and joyful. But this is a sober message because we are at the moment now where the Lord says, I require this of you. If you claim to have faith, if you claim to believe in me, then you must live it out. You must test me in that, right? We're not supposed to test God in, in, a, in a certain way, but in another way you say, Lord, I'm going to believe what your word says. I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to speak what you say, and I'm going to trust you with the outcome. I'm going to trust you with my job. I'm going to trust you with my finances. For pastors that are afraid they might lose people, I'm going to trust you, Lord, with my congregation. I'm going to trust you that if I speak what you call me to speak, you'll take care of that, and I don't need to worry about that, and it's sinful for me to worry about that too much. If we will live out our faith the way the Lord requires us to, when he says faith without works is dead, only then will we see the Lord move. Only then, when, when, when we lean on God, will we see if he backs us up. If we kind of hang back thinking, well, he, he might drop me, so I'm not going to lean on him. The Lord is requiring us to lean on him now, to live out our faith. If we don't, the American church will go, is going, the same journey as the German church. We know what happened, and I believe the Lord gives it to us as a gruesome example of what happens when the church is silent. But if we repent and if we live out our faith in our own spheres and don't let people shut us up by telling us, don't be political, don't do this, don't do that, just speak God's truth. And this goes to each of us individually. Then we're going to see what God does and who he is. We will see him move in our time. Heavenly Father, we come before you with humility, Lord God. We are unworthy of you, Lord, and we know it and we love you. We know, Father God, that by your Holy Spirit, you have called us to be your vessels in this generation. You have called us to live fearlessly and self-sacrificially in the same way that you have called those in the Muslim world and those in China and in nations that are evilly hostile to you and your word. You've called us to live similarly faithful, courageous lives 
knowing we cannot outgive you, knowing we can never, ever worry that you won't back us up if our hearts are with you and we live out our faith. So, Father God, we ask for an anointing on this body and on all who hear this message, an anointing of courage, an anointing of life amidst the death, that we would be your voices in this generation to lead all those who are hungry for truth to you who are truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you.